see everyone here today. Glad that you're here for the 4th of July celebration here at Keith Heights. And uh, I don't know about you all, I've had a great week this week, and I thank the Lord for the wonderful country that he gives us to live in. Still the greatest country in all the world, and I firmly believe that. And uh, we uh, rejoice in it, and we thank the Lord for it, that we have the great privilege to come freely and openly. None of us had to worry about being arrested on our way to church today. Uh, at least not for the next few months till they shut us down. And once that happens, we're going to have to be tested at that point, perhaps. But uh, we thank for the Lord today that we had freedom to be here. And I'm thankful that we have a great country. I'm thankful for those that have paid the price to give us these great liberties. And uh, certainly we owe them a debt of gratitude that we probably could never repay in this life. And certainly um, something to keep in mind as we... Re- uh, spend time with barbecues and, and fellowship with family and friends, uh, we need to understand that freedom was not cheap. It cost the lives of many, many people, and we thank the Lord for them today. We thank the Lord for the Lord Jesus Christ and sending him to die on, on Calvary so we could have freedom from sin, and um, we thank the Lord for that. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer and ask for the Lord's blessing on the service this morning. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for the privilege to be here today. Lord, we do not take for granted the great country that we live in, the great freedoms that we enjoy. And Lord, I pray that you would help us not just on the 4th of July or on days that are of patriotic importance to us to remember and reflect on those things, but Father, that we would be thankful every day that we have the opportunity to wake up and to freely practice and to... Um, involve ourselves in the active living of our religious beliefs that your Holy Spirit gives us through this word and through the convicting of his uh, power upon our hearts. And we are thankful and grateful so much that we live in a country like this. We pray that you'll bless it. And Lord, it certainly has troubling times that we're going through. We don't look at it and say that it's perfect. And so we pray for it. We pray for the leaders. We pray that you would Guide and direct those that are in the pulpits of our churches today. Lord, such a need for revival and the preaching of your word with power and with your Holy Spirit's guidance is uh, so, so needful in the day that we live in. We pray that you would encourage the hearts of pastors to remain steadfast and unmovable, unshakable upon the principles and the doctrine of your word. I pray that you'll bless the preaching today and the time that we spend here together among your people and the fellowship and the songs that we'll be singing and the time that we have to open your word and to uh, study it. And Lord, I ask for the next few moments you would clear our hearts and our minds. Lord, I know many have come in here with heavy burdens. And we pray that you would allow us to lay our uh, worries and our cares at your feet. And that we would allow our hearts to be turned towards you and to your word. Allow your Holy Spirit to have free course in this service to do as he would see fit. And, Lord, may you guide and direct our thoughts and our hearts today that we bring honor and glory to you in everything we say, everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Just two quick announcements. Um, actually, I'm, I'm only going to make one, I guess, right now. Uh, we uh, will need to have a very brief uh, VBS meeting right after church down here uh, to go over this week's schedule. VBS starts a week from tomorrow. So I need to let you guys know what days and nights we'll be here working uh, at the church. And so if you can meet with me right down here, if you're able to help this week, and then, of course, again next week, let me know that, and I'd sure appreciate it. And uh, we'll be just right down here right after the service as quickly as you can get there, and then we'll go downstairs and uh, and have our time together in, in lunch. 
Uh, pray for Brother Everett, who's doing better. Uh, saw him the other day and sitting up and looking much more like himself, finally. Uh, but still a long way to go, a lot of recovery. Also, Brother Bob Schwabert, uh, continue to pray for him. And June Bolin, June's not here today, but Ron, do you have an update? Oh, shit. Well, how about that? Good to see you. You don't need to pray for Miss Dundee. No, we do need to pray. Well, good. Good to see you, Miss June. Good to see you. So continue to pray for her. Uh, cancer treatments are being adjusted or have been adjusted, I guess, at this point. And pardon me? Tuesday? This Tuesday. Okay. So we'll be praying for that and that her blood counts will be up. Um, and then uh, for some family matters with their family, so continue to pray for them. But good to see you, Mr. I didn't even see you sitting there. I should have heard the the organ playing. So, yes, ma'am. Sure. Okay, sure, absolutely. I'm going to let her come give just a quick update about her health. I know a lot of you have been praying, so uh, absolutely. Why don't we have her do that real quick? kind of know about my health <laughs> I was wanting to give an update on Desiree and the children and God has really blessed it's been a miracle and uh, uh, two weeks ago or three weeks ago uh, Jessica who was the she's the younger one and she was the most rebellious and the most disrespectful to her mother and she sent me a text and she said I just wanted to check on how you're feeling and um, so I and she even put you don't have to respond to this if you don't want to she probably was nervous about how I would accept a text from her and so I sent back and told her I loved her and everything and I said I wish you could come by and see me and lo and behold she said I can't come tomorrow but I will <laughs> you know I was shocked and so we set up for her to come on Friday because I had doctor's appointment Tuesday and Wednesday and um, so she came that Friday then she came and spent the day with me the next Friday and then um, she spent a day she sent a text to her mother and said she wanted to see her mother so uh, the only way the the lawyers you know the lawyers take control of everything they said that the only way she could see her mother was if I was present. And I guess that was because they knew she'd spent two days with me, you know, very well and didn't have any, you know, problems emotionally or anything. And uh, so anyway, we spent the day together, Desiree and me and her, and we went out to Desiree's house and she got to see her dog and, and she went out there and she just jumped in the pool in her clothes. <laughs> but anyway, she had a big time. So then we didn't hear from her after that. And I had invited her and Jackie both to my house for July the 4th. Ron was going to barbecue for us. And um, so we didn't hear from Jessie. And I heard from Jackie. She said she couldn't come. And she said that Jesse wasn't allowed under the conditions, which I didn't know what conditions they were talking about. But anyway, as it turned out, um, I don't know if Desiree sent Larry an email or him sent her an email first. But anyway, they decided that Jesse could come. And we found out that she had been crying uh, because they weren't going to let her come. 
So she came and spent the whole day with us yesterday. And, um, and then I got too tired. So uh, Desiree and uh, Jesse spent, they stayed together till 9 o'clock before they met Larry and he picked her up. But by, what was it, 4 or 5 o'clock, I was too tired. I just couldn't. <laughs> and, you know, they kept saying I was supposed to be with them, so I felt responsible, but I was just too tired. So anyway, uh, your prayers have been answered. We're seeing miracles happen. And, uh, you know, the reconciliation of Jesse and Desiree, and, of course, we want that to continue. You know, we don't want anything emotionally to pop up, you know, that will cause it to go backwards. But anyway, just wanted you to know that your prayers are being answered. And, of course, my uh, treatments, I never could get my treatments in because my blood cells and platelets would drop so low. So initially I was having three treatments a month. They only was able to get two in. So they switched it to two treatments a month, and then they could only get one in. <laughs> so now he's changed it to one a month. So my month is coming up this Tuesday. So anyway, that was my treatment. Uh, Thank you, Ms. Judy. Isn't it good to hear God answer prayer? I'm going to tell you that, uh, for those of you that know a little bit about that family situation, that's a miracle. That's an absolute miracle. And uh, God is so good. He really is. All right, Brother Keith, go ahead and come. All right, well, we're going to follow that wonderful news with a good song. Uh, 500. The bowl is called up young. trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore and the rollers called up yonder I'll be there when the roll is called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder Yonder I'll be there. 
Let's go ahead and turn around, wave at everybody, say, welcome to the church. Thank you for being here. All right. All right, join with me on 489. Glory to his name, 489. Down at the cross where my Savior died, down where for cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood applied. Bibles this morning, if you will, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter number 11, (coughs) Hebrews 11 is known as the hall of faith or the faith chapter, many people call it, and uh, (coughs) I'm thankful that We live in a free country. When the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on the cross and offered salvation, the early church, the New Testament church that the Bible speaks of, when it became uh, or came under great persecution, 
And we find some of that mentioned as we get to verse number 32 of Hebrews 11. And what shall I more say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, Receive not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Father, once again we come, we ask for the next few moments to help and aid in the preaching of your word. Lord, I know that we are a needy people today. Father, certainly I am in need of things, and I pray that you would bless and those that have come here with burdens heavy upon their hearts. I pray that you would uh, aid in their lives. And Father, for the next few moments that we would lay aside the burdens and concerns and trials of this life and put our hearts, our minds wholly upon you. We pray that you bless all that is said and done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great persecution came along the church, and down through history, a large movement of folks that entered into doctrinal error began to creep in, and a lot of doctrines were established that uh, civil governments were requiring people to follow. And as a result of that, religious liberty was non-existent. In fact, many people went to their deaths. If you ever take time to read Fox's Book of Martyrs, You'll sit and weep through it as you hear some of the prices that people paid for the, for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to be taught in its purity and its in its simplicity. As I was reading through it one year, as I've read it a few times on several occasions, I came across the story of a, a man who was a lord of a castle in an area in England, I believe it was, and... Um, he uh, was the uncle of a 12-year-old boy. And because the uncle was a God-fearing man and, and believed in uh, salvation by faith alone, he believed that baptism was only to be 
the biblical of the biblical kind where it is believers baptism once you're saved then you get baptized and they did not believe in uh, the baptism of infants he did not believe in baptismal regeneration as much of the doctrine had been taught at the time and he was captured by the magistrates and brought into uh, the trial and they asked him to recant and because he would not recant he was imprisoned and when he was imprisoned he was tortured a great deal uh, a matter came up with a relative of his that was very close to him, and after some time of being imprisoned, he went and beseeched the magistrates that they would release him long enough to deal with the matter. <coughs> the magistrates said, we would not do it because we believe that you would flee and not come back. And the fellow said, I've got a 12-year-old nephew at my castle, at my estate, and I will allow him to come and stay here until I return. The magistrates, since they had made no progress with the uncle, thought this is a great opportunity to take a young man who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and to cause his faith to be uh, taken away. And so they allowed the uncle to go with the 12-year-old boy coming into his place. They began to work on the young boy, and they said, Why do you believe in God? And the young man gave a great defense of why he held to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ had saved him. They said, would you not recant and just say that it's fallacy and it's heresy? And the young boy said, no, I will not. They began to torture him. They started in the early morning hours and they tortured him for over 12 hours until he passed away. The uncle had cried and begged and pleaded with them for him to come back and to release the boy and they would not. And here's a 12-year-old boy that I look at and I think, boy, I wish and I hope in my life that I would have the strength of character. I hope and pray in my life that I would have the sense of confidence in the things of the Lord that I would be willing to stand for the truth of God's Word even in the face of death. Down through history, you could go on through story after story of people who have held to the faith and have not, not recanted of the faith of God's Word. In the 1600s, a group of people who were being persecuted, known simply as the pilgrims, decided that they were tired of the religious persecution that was coming from the Church of England. They made their way over to the New World, landed at Plymouth Rock. And ten years later, the Puritans followed, and the pilgrims had come to uh, separate from the Church of England. The Puritans had come, and their concept was not necessarily to separate from the church, but to try to purify the church and its doctrine. And they still held to a lot of the forms of doctrine there. Several colonies were established in the United States, and I'm thankful for our godly heritage, aren't you? The first Baptist church was started in Rhode Island under the leadership of a man named Roger Williams. Roger Williams pastored that church for about seven months and then had such a burden in a heart for the, the Native American Indians that he resigned the church and went into the woods and began to minister to the Indians, the Native American Indians. A man by the name of John Clark took his place as the second Baptist pastor of the, the Baptist church that was established there in Rhode Island. John Clark uh, spent 11 years of his life in, in England petitioning the king uh, to offer a charter to the colony of Rhode Island guaranteeing religious liberty. 
Eleven years he sought for this. And finally, uh, the charter was written, and for the first time in the history of man, the king allowed a colony to exercise their religion as their conscience would dictate. We would call it religious liberty. Never, never before in the history of man had there been such a document guaranteeing religious liberty. And while many of the folks who came to America came to get a religious liberty, most of them, and many of them did not come to give religious liberty, they felt that their doctrine was the right doctrine, and, and many of them that came over here had error in their doctrine. Massachusetts was one such colony who believed in baptismal regeneration. They believed in infant baptism. They also believed that the churches had to be licensed by the state and had to have the state approval of their doctrine that they taught in their churches. John Clark, the second pastor that took the place of Roger Williams in 1651, heard of a man by the name of William Witter in Lynn, Massachusetts, who was a God-fearing man who was doctrinally sound and loved the Lord. And he was sick and on his deathbed and had not been able to uh, be a part of a church that was doctrinally sound in many, many years and had not had fellowship. So John Clark, along with two men of his church by the name of John Crandall and Obadiah Holmes, decided they were going to go over to be a help and a blessing to William Witter. And while they were there, they had a, a time of uh, praising God and singing and sharing Scripture in the home of William Witter. The magistrates found out about it. They arrested all three men. They fined them all and said, you will pay your fine or be well whipped. John Clark and John Crandall, before they knew what was happening, their friends had come and already paid their fines and they were released. Obadiah Holmes, his friends were a little later getting to them and to him and he said, I will not have my fine paid. He said, to pay a fine would be an admission of guilt and I've done nothing wrong. So he chose rather to suffer the beating and he was taken to the town center and hitched to the beating post, the whipping post. They gave him 30 lashes, one for each of the uh, things that he owed for his fine. And I'm told that when they took him down from the whipping post, he said, you have beaten me as with roses. God gave him grace in his hour of persecution. But I'm also told that for the next 30 days, he had to lean upon his knees and his elbows to get relief to eat and to sleep. For his skin had been laid so bare by the whip and the beating. This is some of the price that men have paid for us to sit here today and enjoy the liberty that we have. It's been a relatively short period of time in the history of man that we've had such wonderful liberties. And the sad thing is that in my lifetime, I have watched as God's people have become complacent with that liberty. We've watched as time after time the liberty that we so enjoy has been nibbled away at and has been uh, de 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 uh, eroding and, and decaying just at our feet. And we have remained silent. A man that was there at the beating of Obadiah Holmes was so impressed. His name was Henry Dunster. Henry Dunster at that time was probably one of the most educated men in the New World. Had a library that was 
the largest personal library that any man had in the country at the time. <coughs> he became the first president at Harvard College, donated the first hundred acres for the college to begin. He was so moved with the conviction of Obadiah Holmes that he went home and began to read his Bible. And in reading his Bible, he realized the error of baptismal regeneration and infant baptism. And when it was time for his youngest newborn child to come and be presented to the church, the church, the state church, for infant baptism, Henry Dunster said, I'm not going to do it because it's not scriptural and it's not biblical. As a result, the state of Massachusetts took away all of his property. They fired him from being the first president of Harvard College, took away all of his goods and all of his wealth, and they said, you're to report on such and such a date to be set adrift. And back then, to be set adrift meant almost certain death because they would take everything that you had to survive on, put you in a canoe and launch you out into the ocean and hope that you would find your way maybe back to land. Henry Dunster went through this. He died a penniless man, all for the sake of the gospel, to be true to the doctrine of God's Word. We live in a day where such freedoms have been afforded to us, and yet we allow these doctrines to be eroded. We do not stand for them like we used to. We do not defend them. We do not even speak uh, uh, steadfastly to those that would so vocally try to destroy and erode them. And we've allowed, because of that, many of our freedoms to disappear. Fast forward a few years to the war for independence in our country. Believed it was an inalienable right that God had given to man that man should be able to live freely. During that great war for our independence, a man by the name of Francis Marion, who was known as the Swamp Fox, was battling and some of his men had been captured by the British and he had also captured some of the British soldiers. And so they decided to meet, and they were going to bring one of the captains from the ships inland to meet with Francis Marion to discuss a prisoner exchange. And while they were there, they came to an amicable agreement to exchange prisoners on a one-for-one -one basis. And after they were done with the negotiations, Francis Marion, being such a gentleman, offered to the commander of that ship to allow him to dine with him that evening in his camp. And the commander, wanting to be a gracious guest, accepted the invitation. While they were there, Francis Marion went and had his men bring the best that they had in the camp. The best that they had in the camp at the time were two wild potatoes they had found growing that they roasted in the embers of a fire. Francis Marion sat one before the commander of the ship, and he took one himself, and they began to eat. After several bites, the commander trying to choke down a dried wild potato, finally set his plate down and with a sense of apology told Francis Marion, I, I cannot eat this. It's too dry. It's too, too difficult, too rough to eat. He said, you must pay your men an awful lot to get them to fight like you do. He said, we're on half rations at the ship and we eat far better than this and every day we have men deserting. And Francis Marion said, we don't pay our men at all. 
And the man was incredulous. He looked at him. He said, how do you get your men to fight the way that they are and you're not even paying them? And Francis Marion made this statement. He said, it is the heart that is all. If a man is interested, he will do or suffer anything. It is the heart that is all. If a man is interested, he will do or suffer anything. These men did not get this quality of character just from the upbringing of their families, but because they had read of such accounts in Scripture. They knew that there were some causes worth laying down your life for. There were some causes worth suffering, torture, and torment for to make sure that that cause remains steadfast and sure. We're here in July 5th of 2020. Our nation, I believe, is still the greatest nation in all the world. I have no doubt of that. But we are involved in turmoil such as our country has probably never experienced quite like this before. And there is a need for God's people to remain steadfast. The founding of our country was not blessed by God simply because there were a group of good men who decided they wanted to come up with a a new concept of governing. But I believe that the hand of blessing of God upon this country in the early days and during the battles and the wars that were fought were placed upon this country because there were men and women of conviction about God's Word and the freedom to be able to worship by it. We're in a need today for God's people to raise up once again and say we believe in pure doctrine of God's Word. We want to make sure that it remains steadfast, that we have the liberty to proclaim it, that we have the liberty to propagate it and take it around to this world and to those that have never heard before. We're living during a time where we are in such great need of revival and stirring among God's people. I believe very firmly in the patriotic duty of every American to vote. And as we study God's Word and we know the moral law of the Holy God, I believe we are to vote our consciences. We ought to always take advantage of that opportunity. But you know, there is a great recipe for revival that God has given to us. In 2 Chronicles chapter number 7 and verse number 14, and while it was written to the nation of Israel, I want you to know that it does give us the heart of God on His desire for nations that He is going to bless. As He says, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will, heal their, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Can I tell you this, that I believe that we're in the time period where we must now begin to humble ourselves and to pray. That's the very start of it. If we're going to see the great hand of God and the revival of God sweep across this nation again, it must begin with God's people. It's not going to begin with unsaved people coming to Christ, but with God's people having their hearts stirred afresh. That there be a humility about us, not an arrogance about us. That we would come to the place of realizing that we live in a country that has been so blessed and gifted by God. For us to look around and say that our nation is not the greatest nation in the world, we would have to be blind to the religious liberty. For you see, the thing that has made our nation great has been the great joy of liberty in Christ that we've enjoyed. 
the great liberty of taking His Word freely. No other nation in this world has had the kind of religious liberty that we've enjoyed over these years. Sad to say, there are some today now that have more religious liberty than we do today. But that was not so from the beginning. I believe we need to pray. We need to get to the place where we humble ourselves. And I think there are several things the Bible says we ought to be praying for. Take your Bibles, if you will, turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 2. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. Paul always uh, exhorting people, encouraging people to be in prayer. And in chapter 2, as he writes this letter to Timothy, he says, I exhort therefore that, first of all, <coughs> supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. But notice as he goes on to say in verse number 2, For kings and for all that are in authority. This is something that we, I think, have neglected in our day that we live. We pride ourselves in criticizing our leaders. We, we, we are very vocal on Facebook, are we not, in our Twitter to post our beliefs and to post them boldly. And by the way, don't stop. I believe we need to do that. But I'll tell you this, that we've gotten so critical of our leadership at the expense of praying for them. To begin to pray for those that are in leadership. You say, well, Brother Greg, I'll pray for uh, our President Donald Trump and our, our Vice President Mike Pence. But what about praying for Nancy Pelosi? What about praying for Chuck, Chuck Schumer and Adam Schiff? What about praying for our justices on the Supreme Court? What about taking time to pray for them and by name calling them out and saying, Lord, bless their hearts and help them to see the, the truth of Your Word. For morality is not legislated. Morality comes from a holy God that gives us His morals in a holy book. And our leaders need to return to that book. We need to pray for that. We need to pray for those that are in authority. Notice what Paul says here in verse 2. He says, for kings, for all that are in authority. And here's why he says this. That we may live what? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. He said, Brother Greg, I'd have a hard time praying for some of our leaders. Can I tell you this? It's the way to live peaceably and godly and honestly. If God gets a hold of the heart of the king... If God gets a hold of the heart of our elected officials, can I tell you this? We need to be praying for our leadership in this country. We need to have special times of prayer. And folks, I'm not talking about putting them on your prayer list and making them a punch list item on your prayers. I'm talking about going to the throne of heaven and pleading our cause for these leaders. To take time. In the Old Testament, I'm not saying we have to do this nowadays, but in the Old Testament was something was of great concern and of, of great burden to someone's heart. They would humble themselves and they would put on sackcloth and ashes and they would begin to plead with God and they would fast and they would pray because of the urgency of the situation. I love my country. But the truth is, I stand here today ashamed knowing that I have not done nearly enough to pray for it. For so much more could be done through prayer.
I love the opportunity I have to vote, and I think a lot of stuff can be dealt with by voting. But can I tell you this? If we vote and expect those that are our elected officials to change spiritually the temperature of this country, we are sadly mistaken. We must pray. It's what God has said. It's what His Word has told us to do. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. That we would pray for kings and for those that are in authority. That we may lead, lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and honesty. Paul says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. How many times do we gripe and complain about the direction our country is going? And we'll spend hours upon hours discussing it amongst ourselves. And we won't spend that many minutes a week praying for our leadership. Many of us couldn't name our leadership. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. Verse number 25, Paul once again writing to the church in Thessalonica. He says, Brethren, pray for us. Brethren, pray for us. Can I tell you, secondly, we need to pray for the spiritual leaders of our country. We need to pray for the pastors in the pulpits of our churches. Because I'll tell you right now, even among Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches, we are seeing the doctrines of this Word go by the wayside. We're seeing so many churches turn to a mindset of man-centered theology instead of Christ-centered theology. We're coming to the place where we believe that our feelings have greater importance in our life in making our decisions than the truth of God's Word. We need to pray that there will be a revival in the hearts of the spiritual leaders of our country, those that stand in the pulpits today, this morning, while we're here, trying to preach and working to labor and preach the Word of God, that there would be a revival among God's people, God's preachers, to come back to this book and say, this is the guideline. This is what we're going to teach. This is what we're going to preach. Not what I feel. Not what I think. Not what society says is acceptable. But what God says is right and what God says is wrong. We're going to preach those things. We're going to be steadfast. You say, Brother Greg, why should, why should we be steadfast in these things? I mean, society's changing. Why not the church? One, because the Lord Jesus Christ gave His life for the things that are in this book. Number two, because millions upon millions of faithful Christians have willingly laid down their lives for this book. Who am I to depart from it? We need to pray that our religious leaders come back to the Lord. To come back to His Word. I know that sounds funny to say religious leaders needing to come back to the Lord. But folks, I tell you, you don't have to look very far among the pulpits of our churches in America to realize that there are a lot of pulpits 
that are dry and dead, that are not preaching the Word of God. A.J. Gordon made this statement. He said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can never do more than pray until you've prayed. The greatest thing we can do for our country, the greatest thing we can do for our churches is to pray. Then we roll up our sleeves. We've tried it the opposite way for far too long. We've tried to roll up our sleeves and fix the problem. And then maybe, maybe, if we're tired at the end of the day and have a few moments left, we might breathe a prayer to the Lord to bless the efforts that we've already exerted. Why not come to Him first in prayer? We can do more than pray after we've prayed, but we can never do more than pray until we have prayed. And then thirdly, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 6, not only should we be praying for our leaders, not only should we be praying for our pastors, I want you to notice in Ephesians chapter number 6, we need to be praying one for another. Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 18. The Bible says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You know, the Bible says that this world hated Christ. In fact, Jesus said, They've hated me, they will hate you. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If there's ever a day that we need to pray one for another, it's today. I bring us back to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 4. As the writer of Hebrews says, You have not yet resisted unto blood. You and I have been given great privilege. We get to live in a day where we don't have to worry about shedding our blood in order to stand fast and be faithful to this book. But the day may come. The day very easily could come. We have never been promised that we would have religious freedom. I'm thankful that God has seen in His divine will and grace in the last 244 years to give us some semblance of religious liberty on this earth. To me, it seems like a small reprise and repose that He gives to us shortly before His return to allow His gospel to go forth. If you think about this, it's almost as if God opened the doors of this world and said, it's been hindered, it's been persecuted, it's been beaten down for all these years. Right before I come back, I'm going to open the doors for a few hundred years and let the Word of God go through it freely. And in the early days, it did. Great revivals of the Great Awakening in the 1800s and the 1900s. But now there's a generation the Bible refers to. A generation that has forgotten God. A generation that has forgotten the price that was paid. We've, we've kind of pushed all that to the back and said, you know, I'm enjoying the time and the freedom that I have here today. But we've gone from not wanting to be persecuted for God's Word to not even wanting to be inconvenienced for God's Word. And there needs to come a revival of God's people who will say, I will stand firm on this book. I will hold it forth and I'm not going to be ashamed of it. I'm not going to be beaten down by the news narratives and those that would say that Christians are, are deviant, that Christians are those that need to be quiet and just keep their religion to themselves. Oh no, if anything, we need to get up on the highest mountain 
And we need to declare the Word of God louder than it's ever been declared before. For we have the great liberty to do it. We've been given a great responsibility. In this generation, we have the responsibility of reaching this generation. We've never in our, in our history of man had the resources and the liberty at our disposal to do such a great work for God and yet done so little. Can I encourage you today, as we honor those that have given their lives for America, as we honor those that have given their lives for the religious liberties down through the generations and the millenniums, that we stir up our hearts and say, God, stir my heart. Help me to be steadfast to this book. I'm not going to bow the knee. I'm not going to turn from it. I'm not going to kowtow to those that are going to come and try to fearfully get me to be moved from God's Word. They're going to try to silence me. I'm going to open my mouth and declare it as loudly as I can. I'm going to take every opportunity that the Holy Spirit brings across my path to share the gospel with someone. Oh, that we would have a revival in the spirit of man, in the spirit of God's people that the pioneers had, that the patriots of this country, this dear land had. Men like Obadiah Holmes that would say, I've done no wrong, I'm going to proclaim the truth of God's Word. Men that would be willing to stand like Henry Dunster and say, you can take all the wealth from me, you can take all of my books, you can take all of my land and set me adrift at sea, but I will not bow the knee. We need to have a revival of God's people saying, I'm going to be steadfast. I'm not going to bow. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, while there's more that could easily be said, I believe that we've done the best that I know how to do this morning to share what you've had on my heart. I pray now that your Holy Spirit would do what He would see fit in the hearts of men. Lord, the truth is I love this country. I love it very much. I love the religious liberty that I so enjoy. Lord, may I be willing to pay the price to defend it, to uphold it, to secure it, so that my children can enjoy it, so that my grandchildren can enjoy it. Lord, I may not live to see those days, but may I do such a thing in my life that it would help to prolong the religious freedoms of this country, that our children can understand what it's like to live in a country that allows them to take your word and use it as their conscience dictates, as your Holy Spirit leads them. Lord, the message this morning has not been primarily for the lost, those that are not saved. But if there's someone here today that does not know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would prick their hearts, help them to have the convicting of your Holy Spirit in their lives to realize they need to get that settled during the invitation that they would come forward and allow us to take your Word and show them how to be saved. For Christians today, maybe we just need to come and spend some time in prayer. Prayer for our leaders prayer for our pastors, and prayer for one another. 
Lord, we do pray that You would help us to have our land healed, that You would help us to be steadfast. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. We'll have the piano and organ just play through a hymn or two of invitation. If God's spoken to you, would you come? Maybe today you just want to come and pray. Maybe pray for the leaders, pray for the pastors. Maybe pray one for another. Others maybe would like to come or if you need to kneel by your seat or sit and pray. Don't take time to rush through the invitation. We'll give as much time as God needs. Several are still praying. We'll allow the piano and organ to continue as long as we need. Others maybe need to come. Thank you, me lift your heads in just a moment be dismissed in prayer. Thank you for being here today. I don't know about y'all. I enjoy this time of year with our celebration of our country's independence, and I enjoy no better than to spend it with our church family. And the fellowship is always sweet. I appreciate you, everyone being here. And I um, want to encourage you. we got lunch downstairs, and come down and join with us. We'll have a great time of fellowship down there. And um, take time to greet each other. Good to see some visitors in the room today. And look forward to meeting you here in a little bit. And praise the Lord for a good day that God's given to us. Let's bow our heads in prayer and be dismissed.
Father, we do pray that you'll bless our country. We pray that you would help us to, if you uh, are longer in coming than what we expect, I pray that you'd help us to see many, many more years of this country being a Christian nation. Help us to do our part. Help us to be willing as those early uh, settlers and early pioneers, early patriots, to be willing to pay the price, to be willing to sacrifice for the generations to follow that they could have a free country and a free nation. Lord, it may cause us to have to deal some, with some things we don't like to do. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have the wherewithal and the stamina to be able to be steadfast in these things. May we uphold the purity of your doctrine of your word. Dismiss us now with your blessings. Bless the food that we'll partake of in just a few moments. We thank you for providing it and those that have worked so tirelessly to get the meals ready. We thank you for allowing us to have the time of fellowship and pray that you would be honored and glorified through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.